following podcast is scheduled for 45 minutes or a 10 count. Welcome back to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I'm your host, Jeremy, and this week we are coming to you live from the historic Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas. And now the star of our show, Bobby Blaze. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be back. And here we are in Dallas, Texas at the legendary Sportatorium, man. This is episode 13. We'll be talking about the biggest, most over baby faces in the regional territories back in the day. And that's going to be our episode today. And, man, it's good to hear your voice. Good to hear you. And I think we do have something to clear up, though, from last week's episode. So uh, let's start off with that if you don't care. Uh, yes, yes, we do, actually. Last week's episode ended in a little bit of a uh, boondoggle, a... Uh, a schmaltz, so to speak, to use, uh, you know, insider terminology there. But we've got word from our commissioner, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, that we are declaring it a draw between Bobby Heenan and James Cornette. How, how does so, that work? We, we had a fucking Broadway, and then behind my back, you go out. I don't know if it's you or the Silver Scorpion, and all of a sudden now we have a commissioner who had decided it was a draw when, in fact... Jim Cornette is the number one professional manager in professional wrestling. And you go and get the commissioner comes out of nowhere. Mr. Steve Regal, Mr. Electricity comes out of nowhere and declares it a draw knowing good and well that Jimmy Cornette was the better manager between him and Bobby Heenan. Is that what you're telling me? Well, no, what I'm telling you is you went off script and decided to declare Cornette was a better manager than Heenan, even though James Cornette himself will tell you that Bobby Heenan was a better manager. And I don't, I don't want us to retread this tire, so we're just going to – I brought in, I hired a commissioner for the podcast, and just like Jack Tenney in the good old days, he's going to come in and declare it a draw. That way you and I can wash our hands of it, shake hands, and come away friends. Okay, well, I'll accept that then because I respect Mr. Regal, and I respect you, and I respect Bobby Heenan. And, of course, I respect Jimmy Cornette, and I do respect his word because I do know he also – Puts over Heenan as being the greatest wrestling manager of all time. So at this point, we'll leave it as the, at the Broadway. It was a tie or a draw, okay? Yep. So when we, when we get past that then, is that what you're saying? I think so. I think so. It's I don't think we're going to meet, meet on this one, so it's best to leave it to a third party who can outrank us both and declare it a draw. And we've got a commissioner now. Welcome yep. aboard, Mr. Electricity. Stephen Regal as our new commissioner of the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. Yep. So, so All therefore, right. we can we can just shake hands and uh, come away, and I don't have to wear a mask and pretend to be somebody else. <laughs> I was going to come back yeah. as the masked debater this week. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I accept that. I think that's pretty good. I'm glad to have him on board with this. And I, and I think the fans got a a really good uh, podcast, and I think they all. They probably could say, you know, I think there was one person that wasn't listed. Uh, but the other 10, you know, all those 10 that we listed were deservingly so. I think I heard one, maybe two other names that, that, that we had thrown out early on. You know, cause we always start these lists with 10 or 12, 15 people sometimes, you know. Yeah. And, well, obviously not 10. We start, you know, you know, 15 a lot of times. But, uh, yeah, there was, uh, I think the people were real happy um, with the uh, time limit draw, the Broadway, if you will. 
of who was the greatest of all time wrestling managers. And that was last week's episode. So if you get a chance, you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to it. I think you'll really enjoy it, especially if you're an old school wrestling fan and, and, and liked all the, uh, when, when professional wrestling had managers that really meant something back in the day, I guess is what I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, they just don't take advantage of using them in a lot anymore like they used to. Well, you know, I, I just had this, conver- not even really a conversation yesterday. Somebody put on Twitter, why do they call them superstars and not wrestlers in the WWE? And I said, it's because the WWE hates wrestling. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't call it wrestling. They call it sports entertainment. They don't call them wrestlers. They call them superstars. Why do you think you end up with 20 minutes of some jackass sitting in the ring with a guitar instead of wrestling? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, how about this? Let's jump into something real quick here, because that way we're not going to be the jackasses sitting around talking about the jackasses <laughs> sitting around in the ring playing the guitar when it's wrestling, and this is a wrestling podcast. So, and we're not going to be Debbie Downer here. If we're going to change gears real quick before we give our shout outs, uh, we did, I think everyone best time are, are aware of, or by the time you hear this podcast, uh, we lost Jim D'Ambo Nightheart uh, this past week, um, age 63. I toured in Australia with Nightheart back in uh, 93. I was around him some in WCW as well. And uh, just a big old heart, big old good guy, big, legit, tough, strong guy. You know, he, he won an anvil, threw an anvil and won a contest. And that's how he got the name Anvil. We lost him. And I'll let you comment on the, on the as, as I finish up, because I'm going to do one more. Dumb sure, sure. Speak on both of these or who, who you decide. And I think you have one. Also, I'd like to... Um, uh, give my condolences to the family and friends of uh, Doc Dean. He was an English wrestler. Um, I met him back in uh, the late 90s uh, down at WCW, and Doc was a really, really talented wrestler. If you haven't or seen haven't seen Doc work, there's some good YouTube footage of him and Robbie Brookside when he was young. Also, I saw him having some really good matches uh, at WCW against Steve Regal, Dean Malenko, and some other people that um, he competed over in Japan in the Super 8, if I'm not mistaken several times um just a very tremendous talented guy but um uh my, just give an r.i.p shout out to doc dean and i think you have one more that's more recent today yeah that's uh, not not a wrestler but we do need to pay our respect for this person well she, she's not a wrestler but she did sing america the beautiful at wrestlemania three's opening uh aretha franklin passed away yes. this morning after a few days of hospice care um let me tell you, uh, uh, that woman could sing. I'm, I'm an old metalhead, but I appreciate, uh, you know, good R&B and blues. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, man. And she could belt out tunes like nobody's business. Yeah. And I don't even remember now, because I, I, I'm on the spot, but somebody else originally had performed Respect, and then when she sang it, he said, all right, I'm done. That's her yeah, song now. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but, yeah, it, the, it's synonymous with her now, you yeah. know, but. And nothing but respect for her and those of the uh, past. And so let's uh, let's uh, shift gears once again and, and get on with the podcast here and uh, give a couple shout-outs. I, I want to shout-out to all of our fans worldwide. We're picking up people outside of the United States. we got France, uh, Slovakia, uh, Japan, um, France. We appreciate you guys up there. We're even starting to gain some momentum up in Canada now. Jeremy, hopefully, he's got... All you people have got the heat off Jeremy. So worldwide and, and in the U.S., thank you to all the fans. My shout-out is just going to everyone because we're really happy with the way the podcast has been taking off. And it's all because of you all, the fans, telling other people, hey, you got to check out this podcast. These guys are um, – I'm just going to let you tell them how we are, Jeremy, because I know that's one of your shout-outs. How's that? Well, yeah, so <laughs> – 
Uh, the first, the first one I'm going to give, and I do want to follow up on yours there, but I, yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to Adam Price because I could not come up with his name the other day when we recorded. I think it was last week when we recorded. Right. Right. And uh, he went back and retagged me in the, the the original tweet where he said that we were country. And yeah. and look, I I don't take it as an insult in any way. As a matter of fact, I'm not southern, but I am pretty damn country. I, I grew up in a little cow town. My grandparents were uh, fruit pickers and farmers and cattle people. Uh, so yeah, you're not you're not far off the mark. And I do love biscuits and gravy. So that yeah. absolutely. Um, also, I do want to say, everybody out there listening, thank you uh, a million times over. We are into our third month now, and we have more than 50% again over what we had in the entire month of July we've had in August as listens, and that's that. That's you guys. And uh, thank you. Thank you for telling your friends. Uh, you know, just get on the phone and call somebody. And uh, <laughs> I, I am... I am over the moon with happiness uh, with the the reaction we're getting from people. Uh, people love classic wrestling, and that's what we're all about here. Yep. So we've been. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, Jeremy, I know we're going to be coming, uh, bringing some information from the uh, Dallas Sportatorium, the mecca of pro wrestling in Texas. We chose that place to honor this week as we try to each week come to you from a different location where professional wrestling, back in the heyday, some of the buildings that, uh, you know, the regional wrestling took place at. And also, again, we're going to be, so we're going to, I think Jeremy has something he'd like to speak about the uh, Dallas Sportatorium. And also, we'll get into our top 10. Uh, great, greatest baby faces of all times. So, uh, Jeremy, if you want to lead us off on that, I'm not yeah. asking you to lead us to prayer here. I just want you to uh, no, give no. us a little history of the sportatorium, and I'm going to add my two cents. I have a nice little article uh, take some notes from I want to read about. So. Yeah, absolutely. The sportatorium was built in 1934. Uh, there was a fire there. It was originally built to hold about 10,000 people. There was a fire there in the 50s that cut its capacity down by about half. It used to host other things like the Big D Jamboree, which was kind of like the Grand Ole Opry, except it was in Texas. Um, the the thing about the Sportatorium is it's kind of a microcosm of the wrestling business in its own, that it was busy as hell in the 60s, 70s, and up to the mid-80s, and then at the start of the 90s, it started to dwindle, and then they eventually just let it go dilapidated and fall apart, and then tore it down in the early 2000s. Which is kind of like what happened to the wrestling business, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I was kind of stunned because you could kind of watch like the timeline on the sportatorium and you could see like how, oh, and look, Vince bought everybody and now wrestling's dead. Um, but after WCCW folded, the GFW was there for a little while. Uh, local promotions after that period of time, after the GFW folded, local promotions couldn't draw big enough crowds to fill the sportatorium. So they started going to bingo halls and ballrooms and filling those up instead. It's demolition. You can actually see Kevin Von Erich go mm -hmm. through on right before it was torn down. You can actually, in the movie Heroes of World Class, which is, I don't believe it's in production anymore, but you can still find used copies of it. You can actually see Kevin go through the building right before they tear it down. That's kind of, you know, that's got to be like a, a horrifyingly, but uh, what do they call it? But you get closure. So yeah, I, I know Some closure. I yeah, think that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah I, I know Kevin's life has been 
all about wrestling for a long period of time, and I'm sure because of what happened with his family, there's a big point of it where you're just like, you know what, I don't ever want to hear those words again. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's what I got on the Sportatorium. I just, I I loved watching the old WCCW shows, and it looked cool. I like dark, grimy halls for wrestling events. Yeah. But um, according to Percy Pringle and James Cornette, apparently there were rats there the size of human beings. Yeah. Well, I had that in my notes from some of the boys. Um, So before I read this article, I just can go off the top of my head a couple little things I had. Uh, Of course, Fritz Von Erich uh, started running the World Class Championship Wrestling there in 1969. I'm not going to go back and retract about the fires, et cetera, because it it happened a couple of times, as Jeremy mentioned there. Um, I guess it had the... uh, low-hanging mess of uh, shingles and, and the rickety, rackety bleachers, uh, dirt-filled floor, and the some of the stories I'd heard through the years, of course, were uh, rumors of rats, and not the uh, not the arena rats, but big, big-ass big rats. Uh, heard the grease was never changed in the uh, uh, concession stand. <laughs> I heard it basically uh, smelled of, you know, cigarette smoke, and uh, that saturated through the air, and it was just uh, that, and uh, spilled beer over, you know, the bleachers and over the, the, the floor, but all that was overshadowed from what a boys told me from all the action in the ring. Uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, Stone Cold, Steve Austin called on his podcast, one of the greatest wrestling buildings in the world of professional wrestling is personified from an arena snapshot, uh, an arena standpoint, rather. So if you like an arena, uh, Stone Cold says one of the greatest wrestling buildings in the world of professional wrestling. And uh, I like that, too, because we're going to visit some other places. That's kind of like we went back to the Olympic Auditorium. Uh, shout out to them, by the way. They, they've been supporting us a little bit on, on our Twitter uh, to the Bell to Bell Bobby Blaze podcast. But, um, yeah, so when you get that, just there's something special about a place, you just, you, like you said, can't say enough about it. Um, I'm just going to read a little article here. Dallas Sportatorium to Mecca of Pro Wrestling in Dallas, or in Texas, rather, by uh, Ryan Dilbert. And it just, uh, we're going to get more into some of the people that's mentioned, but uh, <clears throat> to step inside the muggy, homely, dirt floor Dallas Sportatorium was to step inside a monument to the art of pro wrestling. The tin barn turned wrestling temple that stood on a quarter of Industrial Boulevard and Cadet Street in Dallas, Texas, lacked the architectural handsomeness, handsomeness that modern arenas do. But for decades, it housed the biggest names in the business. Wild brawls unfolded as cheers, as cheers echoed off the metal walls. Blood dampened the mat. Beer soaked through the bleachers. The sportatorium was an intimate building one that put the spectators and the stars uncomfortably close together. The wrestlers who battled inside it remember the building fondly. It remains as a symbol of the way the industry once was. And this is where we're heading at. Regional, gritty, and brimming with passion. And I thought that'd be a great way, that last little line there, because it's regional, and that's kind of where our topic is, and that's why we chose this sportatorium because we're going to be doing some regional baby faces. But anyway, I just wanted to uh, – the rest of it, of course, there's a really nice article. You can find it online. It says a lot of the same things about the fire and some of the guys that you know performed there uh, and such and such. But that's just a paragraph that I, that I really liked, and um, I'd done that with this, uh, the, the Olympic Auditorium, and, and that was from, from a local newspaper in Dallas, and I thought, man, that's – that's pretty cool. So uh, there's your little history lesson from the Sportatorium, um, and it's legendary from what the boys, you know, have told me. You know, the things they've heard and seen and saw there uh, from 
from like as you mentioned the rats and the grease not being changed and all that just <laughs> cigarette smoke and uh, uh, stale beer you know and it's, that's just that's just the way wrestling should be remembered I think you know or should be I think still today hell <laughs> I, I'd love to have been able to have been one of the performers there just peeking you know watching some of the matches there um, I've been to a lot of arenas and we'll get to some of those I've been to but I wish I'd had an opportunity to go watch a show or even be on a show at the uh, Dallas Sportatorium but that anyway with that said if uh, you have anything else to say there Jeremy before we jump into our topic uh, before we get to the topic I just want to rem- want to remind everybody that you can buy Bobby's books on Amazon. I've got a simple way for you to find them. Pin Me Pay Me is at tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. And uh, I kicked out on two, The Education of a Wrestler is at tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. If you like Bobby's wrestling stories, a lot of them are in these books. I recommend buying them. Uh, Bobby, you, do you have a show coming up this weekend? Do, can people buy your books there? Yes, actually. Um, Saturday. The Rally on a River in Ironton, Ohio, FTC, failure to uh, conform, or as I call them, failure to communicate. But anyway, the uh, local promoter here runs the show. He got a big, this has happened for years now, I think it's the 14th annual, 15th annual, big biker rally they have over in Ohio, uh, right on the river. That's the name, Rally on the River. A lot of babes, a lot of beers, a lot of bikes. And this year, the wrestling uh, is not going to be indoors. It's going to be outdoors, like one of the rest, uh, uh, like one of the rock shows. They've got several local and a couple of national bands coming in, all heavy metal, from my understanding. So, and if I knew the names, I'd rattle a couple of them off. But I'm drawing a complete blank on that. But I will be there from uh, three to five, hanging out and uh, signing autographs, selling some T-shirts, hopefully some DVDs, and also both my books will be available there. Uh, Rally on a River Saturday. Uh, I'll be there from 1 o'clock on, actually. The show starts, though, from 3 until 5. So uh, come on out and um, have a good time. Nothing else. They got they got uh, probably 70% uh, female wrestlers because of the bikers. So it's probably a little bit different stack card than they usually have, but it's going to be a hell of a good time because, like I said, you got beer, babes, and bikes. What else could more for you ask for, you know? So, uh, yeah, come out and see me. Let, let me know you heard me on the podcast, too. Just say, hey, Bobby, I heard your podcast and uh, knew to come over here. So there'll be a lot of people out there. It's like I said, it's been 14, 15 years they've ran this thing. They, they do a really first-class uh, deal over there, man. It, it really is. Um, don't get the misconception of bikers, uh, you know, any kind of bad uh, they keep it all pretty much in line, man. It's it's all real good. It's all good. And watch someone end up getting killed now. But anyway, hopefully not. <laughs> but come over and see me uh, Saturday, the, uh, what is that, the 18th? Is that correct? Yeah, Saturday yes. the 18th. Uh, I'll be there at 1 o'clock. Uh, show starts at 3. Come by and get your autographed copy of Pin Me, Pay Me, or I Kicked Out on Two, The Educational Wrestler. That that's a good plug there, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah, Buy from the website too. Give Jeremy some kickback, man. Go go on there and use the tiny URLs because um, while I'm thinking about go over there and visit. If you're new to the show, uh, give us a little bit of support. We got a GoFundMe, help some co-hosting fees here, and uh, I'll set that some. So every little thing counts, and we appreciate it because we do this because we love wrestling. We both love podcasting. And we really are getting some really cool people we're meeting through Twitter and through this podcast. And uh, we appreciate it, man. 
So uh, I think you can tell enthusiasm from the way we talk, and we're not trying to, we don't clean up a whole lot of it because it's just two guys talking about something they're passionate about, and that's podcasting, and that's professional wrestling. Uh, the other thing I'm passionate about is pussy, but right now I'm a little bit on a dry spell. So maybe, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, maybe one of these, uh, Saturday, <laughs> Saturday uh, with the bikers and the babes and the beer, maybe I'll land one, two, or three. I doubt I'll be on a bike. Um, I'm hoping to be on a babe, but more likely I'll be on a beer. <laughs> well, you know, one one out of three ain't bad, I think, is the old Meatloaf song. Yeah. Well, I'll take the odds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, I, I also, I just just for shits and giggles, I just went over to our, uh, our fan page that Tex Johnson runs on YouTube. Yeah. The Arn Anderson bit has hit 280 views in the last couple of weeks. Right. Right. Yeah, so yeah. It's, Thanks it's, for doing those texts, by the way. There's your shout-out. I know he hates getting those shout-outs, so we try not to too much. But uh, that Bell to Bell Blaze podcast on a YouTube channel, he, he's got some really good stuff over there. And I didn't realize it hit 200 on that, um, uh, the only in, what was it? Oli no, 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 the, no, this this is Arn. The Arn oh, episode has blown up and run oh, okay. away with it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it's at almost 300 now. Right on. All right. Yeah. yeah well, so, check that out, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Because what what Tex does is he takes our episodes and intercuts them with actual clips from different programs and shows to to our narration to kind of it intensifies a little bit we talk about, and then he takes it and goes in depth. It's really cool. Uh, but if anybody's not happy with the videos, don't sue us. <laughs> we have <laughs> we have nothing to do with it. Yeah, we appreciate him doing it, but yeah, we, we, we don't have anything to do with it. And, but I do appreciate the way he cuts them up and puts things oh, yeah. in because it he does it first class, guys. He really oh, absolutely. does. And, Look, um, here's the enjoyable. thing. I know what's in these episodes because it's us talking, but what he does with them to expand on them is just incredible. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Bobby, yeah. we got about 25 minutes remaining in this episode, so let's get to the top 10 regional baby faces. Okay, you want me to start us off? Yeah, number 10? Let's just start us off. Okay, number ten. We now we start off, guys. We had about probably fifteen to eighteen names between us, uh, but we we kind of went with some fan feedback. We went with some other people, stuff we've read, stuff we've heard, stuff we know, and we started off number ten with uh, Johnny Weaver. Okay, Johnny Weaver from the. Um, probably known best as a, a tag team specialist throughout the mid-Atlantic region with uh, Jim Trocker Promotions. Um, he wrestled over four decades. He was best known with his tag team partner, George Becker. But from my understanding, um, he they become household names because they, they tagged together for about eight years. And I will let Jeremy say a couple little things about him because he's going to tell you about one of his most famous holds that's named after him. So that's uh, Johnny uh, Weaver is number 10. Yeah, so baby faces. Johnny Weaver is the first person, or at least the first person anybody can find, who used the sleeper hole, which Dusty Rhodes would later refer to as the Weaver Lock, and Johnny Weaver himself called it the Weaver Lock. But it was the first time that anybody can find that it was used was Johnny Weaver, which I think you get points just for that. Also, that's you right. deserve to be on this list because Dusty Rhodes was a fan of Johnny Weaver, and that's good enough for me. Yep. 
when we when we was doing our list and we had to come down to number 10 there, that was Jeremy's final text back to me was, hey, if he's good enough for Dusty Rose to be a fan of Dust, for Dusty to be a fan, that's good enough to get him on the damn list right there. Yeah. So that's number 10 was Johnny Weaver. And we hope we made some people down in Mid-Atlantic in the uh, Jim Crocker promotions happy if you're listening right now. That takes us to number eight. Would you like me to introduce him, or you want to, Jeremy? Well, this, this to would be this would be number nine, Bobby. Number nine. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at two sets of notes. Yep. I'm holding number eight in my hand, and number nine is on another piece of paper I'm glancing at. This will be number eight. Thanks for correcting me there, referee. Yeah, no problem. Uh, <laughs> well, so number nine is yep. Dick, Dick the Bruiser. Yes. Uh, played for Green Bay. He was trained yep. by Vern Gagne. Um, let's see here. I guess some of the bigger wins he had was him and Jerry Graham versus Antonio Rocca and Edward Carpentier. Uh, it led to a riot at Madison Square Garden where Dick the Bruiser was banned from ever coming to again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I do know that he was uh, uh, known as the world's most dangerous wrestler and mm-hmm. once bragged about, I've got so many stitches in my head, it looks like a baseball. But the one thing when I was doing my research, I was not aware of this. I knew David Letterman was from Indiana, yep. and I knew he was a Bruiser fan. And I'm not trying to steal any thunder if you was going to say this, Jeremy, but I did not know this until earlier. Uh, David Letterman's TV show, the name of the band, the world's most ba- dangerous band, was paying homage to Dick the Bruiser uh, when he named that band um, the world's most dangerous band on the late night with David Letterman talk show. Yep. So, uh, I, hell, that there's a good reason to make the top ten right there, let alone all the, t- the toughness that the guy, uh, you know, possessed. So, yeah, Dick uh, the Bruiser was number nine is what I uh, well, should have said. So. Yeah, Dick the Bruiser was the only bruiser in the Indianapolis Territory. He bought the Indianapolis Territory and aligned with Vern Gagne's AWA. But it was he was so synonymous with the name Bruiser that when Bruiser Brody worked up there, he worked under the name King Kong Brody's just to not create any confusion. There you go. Wow. That's and he a... and he might have also given Bobby Heenan the name the Weasel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that Indianapolis territory I, there a lot of people came through there. Of course his partner was a crusher and mm-hmm. uh, People's heard some of the stories as years went on uh, when when Dick uh, the Bruiser and the Crusher worked with the Road Warriors and they slammed them and it like the place just was like what you know yeah so uh, they never apparently went off their feet at that point in their career but they did that night and it was like whoa you know so uh, yeah so Dick the Bruiser man he he makes our our list of top ten and he comes in at number nine yeah, absolutely. So. Now we're at number eight. Would you like to enter yes. this one, Bobby? Yes, number eight. Okay, so when I know personally, Bullet Bob Armstrong. He comes in at number eight. Uh, he was a, uh, first of all, I have a lot of love and respect for the entire Armstrong family. Uh, traveled a lot with them, worked a lot with them. Uh, talked to Steve, or excuse me, I talked to Scott every once in a while still. I talked to Brian every once in a while still. Um, haven't spoken to Bullet for a while, but I like Bullet Bob Armstrong. He comes in, of course, he worked a lot with the uh, uh, throughout the uh, southern U.S., down in Alabama, Georgia. You know, he worked in Florida. Um, he was in the Hall of Fame in 2011. But some of the things that I know personally, that's just something I just glanced up and read off. A couple of things I want to share with you is I know he was a former United States Marine, so I thank Bullet Bob for serving our country. Also, Brian uh, James, his uh, youngest son, he also served as a Marine, and I appreciate that. But um, he was a fireman, 
and he started off as a fireman there around, I think, uh, Cobb County, uh, Marietta, Georgia. Uh, and he worked several years, maybe up to about eight years before he, he, he was wrestling a lot and getting really, really popular. And I think he probably was a fireman for several years before he finally made that decision. You know what? I'm gonna make it in wrestling. Cause he started telling me how much, how over he started getting when he was going out, you know, to these, uh, to the areas down there in Georgia and Alabama and working. Uh, the other thing, two things that stood out that he told me about, he, if you're familiar with the Nautilus equipment, if you work out, if you're familiar with Nautilus, Arthur, uh, Jones, who invented the, uh, uh, Nautilus equipment, uh, I think it was down in Florida. Bob Armstrong told me one time he went down there to, to purchase a, a piece of equipment. Of course, back in the day, those, those were expensive piece of equipment, but he, apparently he was buying a piece for his home gym. And Arthur Jones used to measure people's arms and the way he would do it, he would take a tape measure. And, or excuse me, not take maybe a piece of paper and cut it out and wrap it around your arm and then mark it. And he said he had legitimately had 20-inch arms at one time, and it was verified by Arthur Jones because he was so impressed with people's arms. So Bob Armstrong at one time, Armstrong did have that. And a lot of people don't know that um, he went under the mask as a bullet, and that was due to a weightlifting injury. He was uh, lifting about a 180-pound dumbbell, I think it was, uh, and it broke. And it uh, required a lot of surgery on his face. A lot of people think he went under the hood, I guess, to uh, to to become the bullet, uh, alter ego or whatever. But that wasn't the case. He was doing it to hire, uh, to disguise rather some of the disfiguration from the accident of the weightlifting. And of course, most recently for me, and I know it's been a while. He's been on TNA, and of course, like I said, he's been in WWE Hall of Fame in 2011. But he was a Smoky Mountain Wrestling Commissioner, mm -hmm. and he was just over as a baby face everywhere he went, man. I, I really that's that's all just you know from notes and from the heart on Bullet Bob. He deserves to be in the top ten uh, regional baby faces of all time. So he comes in at number eight, and I'll let you add whatever you'd like, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. I, run away I, with that. But I, some of the people I know personally, you know, and you've talked about this, you let me go because I might have a good behind-the-scenes story. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a good dude. Good I got, dude. I've just got a few notes about Bullet Bob. Obviously, I had that he wrestled under the name Bullet, you know, under a hood after, her, you know, uh, having his yeah. face injured. Um, he kept the name Bullet after that point. He also feuded with the Stud Stable. So there's to our Fuller Welch friends right there. Yes. And, yep. uh, of course, his four legendary sons. Uh, the Armstrong name is synonymous with pro wrestling in a lot of areas. Yep. Um, you know, even though Road Dog is probably the most famous and he didn't wrestle under that name, but right. everybody <laughs> knows. Everybody knows. So Bullet Bob, yeah, uh, absolutely goes on the list. Like you said, commissioner, much like our own uh, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. There he was go. commissioner of the uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yep. So, and a yeah. damn good one. So yeah. I hope Mr. Regal can hold up his end of the bargain on this deal, too. Yeah. So, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not worried. I think he'll do okay. I think so. Yeah. So now we're at number seven, and I think it's your turn to introduce one. Absolutely. Number seven, we go to Jerry the King Lawler. A man who has held more titles than any other wrestler, more recognized titles than any other wrestler, with a total of 168 as of its last official counting. Damn. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. I was not aware of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, probably his most famous feuds would be, uh, uh, I just drew a blank on his name. Who's, who's that little guy? <laughs> Bill Dundee. Bill Dundee. Bill uh, Dundee. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Jackie Fargo. 
Um, he also was one of the guys behind when the CWA, the WCCW, and the AWA all formed into one company briefly before Vern Gagne pocketed all the money. And then he created the USWA. Uh, Jerry Lawler is a legend in wrestling, yep. but Jerry Lawler was a bigger legend in Memphis than anybody yep. else. And I'll let you take it from there. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the, the he got that, the King, I think Bobby Shane gave him the uh, King, uh, gave one of his first uh, uh, crowns. And, of course, Elvis Presley being from Memphis, also known as the King. But Jerry Lawler sold out the Mid-South Coliseum, I think, a lot more times than Elvis ever did. And that's when he, I think it was like tied at 11 or something. Of course, wrestling was there every Monday night for years and years that we talked about last week. And he just kept selling it out every damn week. And he, when he, when he passed it, like, hit number 13 or 14 or whatever it was. I said, you are the king, you know, which he already had that title, but then he was like, he's the official king now. But yeah, he, uh, man, Jerry Lawler just over. Of course, he, he works as a heel too, but for the most part, uh, just as a baby face, regional, uh, there wasn't anything that with the title accolades you just mentioned, you know, all those different titles, over 100 of them. So uh, one of them being the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight title. So I'll say this, you know, uh, I was a trivia question one time on the radio. Jerry Lawler lost the USWA title in one week, and that was to Bill Dundee, and he lost uh, two titles in that week, and the second one was a Smoky Mountain Heavyweight title myself. So uh, I'll just say, you know, it was a pleasure doing business with the King because he was professional enough. Someone I had looked up to as a young man, uh, grown up on a Memphis wrestling product, knowing, you know, what a superstar he really was. Uh, uh, top baby face, of course, when I was wrestling, he was a heel. But nonetheless, uh, he was professional enough and courteous enough to go in and do professional business and help Jim Cornette Smoky Mountain Wrestling out and help get me over as a young kid, you know, uh, in the wrestling business. So uh, nothing but respect for Jerry Lawler, and I think he deserves to be in his top ten. And again, we're not even talking about it on a national level, but just on the things he'd done, uh, they created that CWA title, and, and then he, of course, he he's been a he's been a champion. And on a national level, you, hell, you named all those titles. But mm -hmm. still, number seven, Jerry the King Lawler is, a, you know, probably could be higher, but we got a tough list to go through. Oh, we're, this... we're going to, he kind of switched back and forth, but again, mostly the ones we're naming are at this point, stay, you know, they, they could have went back and forth, but some of these guys you're going to realize are just were pure baby face all the way, and that's what we're going for. Yeah. So uh, I'll, um, I'll want, finish up with number seven. I'm sorry, Jerry No, Lawler. no, no, that's okay. I, I, I want to follow up on Jerry Lawler with, I got a question for you. You didn't get a pile driver from him, did you? No. Okay, okay, because otherwise I was going to tell you to get off the phone and go to the doctor. Yeah, um, yeah. Two, how ugly was that CWA title belt? Oh, my <laughs> God. Uh yeah, I think they must have saved some money getting that thing made. <laughs> oh, jeez. I think somebody might have paid them to take it. There you go. Yeah. All right. So we'll yep. go on, and let's see. I introduced seven, so you do number six. Thump, thump, thump. Another one bites the dust. Junkyard Dog, JYD, comes in at number six. And I was afraid I'd go off script there, man, because I wanted him to be higher, but that's what we voted him to be on. But, man, we've already had a uh, talk about JYD getting over in a couple other episodes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, he, there's another guy I toured with him over in Australia when he was fresh off the WWF, WWE TV back in the day. Uh, Sylvester Ritter, man, that guy was over 
over, let me tell you. And then also, he I worked a lot of independent shows with him around this area. Uh, Bobby Fortin used to use him a lot of his shows. And, uh, man, that guy was just always over. And uh, I just I just loved the uh, Junkyard Dog. We can't talk enough about how much of a baby face he was down there in Louisiana and the Mid-South and all that. I'm what, I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to real, real briefly share it again. Uh, JYD, we had just got back from Australia. And I was out of town with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and WCW, who at the time was having a hard time uh, drawing anywhere, it's before the Monday Night Wars, they um, they were in town. And my mom was working a front desk at the YMCA, and a couple of the wrestlers came in, and uh, uh, she told me about this. And then I actually saw JYD the next weekend and confronted him on it, and we both had a good laugh over it, but it's just a good memory. And that was um, when he come into the Y, um, she said, you know, I, I need to see some ID because it's traveling, you know, it's $5 for a workout or whatever. And we had just got back from Australia like two weeks before that. And so uh, he says uh, real kindly, yes, ma'am, um, I'll be right back. I left my ID out in the car. So he gets about probably five or ten steps away from me. She goes, uh, that's all right, Sylvester. I know who you are. And he turned back around like on a dime, she said. And he just walked back and goes, how do you know my name? And she goes, I know your name is Sylvester Ritter. And he goes, how do you know that? And he's trying to pay favor, you know. Yeah. And she, she said, well, my son's uh, Bobby Blaze, and you just got back from Australia. Oh, Bobby. She, he goes, she goes, I read all of his itinerary, you know, before he left town. And she goes, I knew you was on it and had all your all's names for your flights and stuff. And, and uh, he, she goes, go on in. Of course, he didn't need an ID, and he didn't, she didn't charge him $5 or whatever. And I came back into town like a Monday, and then she told me, and then I was back on the road. The following week for uh, Bobby Fulton, and there was JYD, and we'd done three days together. And, and uh, I come up to him, I said, Heard you met my mom, and he just started talking about what a sweetheart she was and how how over it was for uh, you know for someone to know his real name back then. You know, it's just really funny. So that's my JYD story, but I'll let you take over about his popularity and why he's number six. Yeah, so. Uh, well, so. Junkyard Dog was known for a couple things, his headbutt being first, but also Junkyard Dog was incredibly strong and could body slam big men like King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Kamala. And so that, I'm sure, helped get him over. But also in Mid-South, he was the top baby face they pushed down there. Uh, Known for feuds with the Freebirds, like when they blinded him and his baby was born and Junkyard Dog couldn't see him because of that dastardly (laughs) Michael P.S. Hayes. (laughs) He feuded with Ernie Ladd, Ted DiBiase, and his loaded glove, and he uh, went back and forth with Butch Reed for the North American title. And I'll tell you what, anybody can go toe-to-toe with Butch Reed is a tough son of a bitch. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that and the uh, Using Queens, Another One Bites the Dust as a theme song would put him on any one of my lists. Matter of fact, JYD has been on a number of our lists recently. Yes. And Bobby, I'm just going to throw this out there while we're talking just to get a fan reaction. Maybe we do a full junkyard dog top ten at some point. I was waiting for someone to come up and suggest, like they did on a dusty one, and I'm glad you did. I think that we we just come off the top of the head sometime with things, with the Piper one at the proper time, with the Candida when someone requested that, and a fan did request a dusty one, and we have over 880 listens on our Dusty Rose podcast. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to episode four, do that. But you know what? I think you just hit on the head, man. We need to do a junkyard dog special and ten reasons why we love because there's probably a thousand reasons why we love JYD. So I think you got us a good topic for a future podcast, Jeremy. Thank you. Yep. That's why you're the damn producer That's and director. It. 
That's it. Now I got some bad news. We have seven minutes podcast time remaining. Yeah. Oh man. Let's go to number five. I think we'll get through a couple pretty quick though. Well, yeah, I think we'll get through this one pretty quick because number five is Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. What haven't we said about Dusty? He was over. I mean, super over everywhere he was, but especially in Florida where I believe he was in Florida when he turned on Gary Hart and first made his face turn that would dominate the rest of his career. Yeah. I know one thing we didn't say, and a couple people tweeted us about it, funky like a monkey. Oh, yeah. So there you go. So we're, we number episode four I just mentioned. Go back and listen to that because that's probably the only thing we didn't say about Dusty Rhodes during our podcast and 10 things we love about him. So Dusty comes in number four or, or five. Five. Five, rather. Yep. And so we'll just kind of brief over that because there's a whole podcast out there. And if you haven't listened to it, I strongly suggest you do because it is our most popular podcast, Episode 4, Dusty Roads. Uh, that's going to take us to number four. And my numbers are all fucked up. I'm sitting there reading them. I got my reading glasses on even. I got a light shining them on them. But uh, number four, Bruno Sammartino coming in at number four, all-time baby faces. Yeah, Bruno was known for his bear hug. He he was WWF champion for 11 years. Uh, in 1959, he set the world bench press record. I, yeah, we could probably do a 10 on Bruno as well. So maybe, yeah, we probably could. And we've spoken about him before as uh, champions. We had him on our top 10 champions list. So once again, we hate to brief over, but we, we do have to get to these next three. And I think uh, we've got enough time to get all three of these over. So Bruno comes in at number four, and that's going to take us to our top three. Drum roll, th- uh, please. Whatever, there you go. Yeah. All right, number three. From the Rock and Roll Express, one of the greatest baby faces of all time, Ricky Punky Morton. Uh, yeah, so uh, Ricky Morton, I mean, you know, this will cover him alone and with the Rock and Roll Express, but the thing people remember about the Rock and Roll Express especially is Ricky's selling. Yeah. And that's what really got them over. Um, also, I came across a piece of information. I don't know if this was true or not, but Rock and Roll was formed by Jerry Lawler. Yep. He he put, okay, I didn't know he put them together until I was reading yep. this. And apparently Ricky Morton has been involved in either single or tag team titles 79 times. Damn. Well, Ricky Morton just a hell of a good guy and a couple funny stories real quickly about Ricky Morton. You mentioned that about uh Jerry Lawler putting them together. They uh Apparently, they went over. There was a flea market across the street from the Mid South Coliseum taking place, and they they went across the street over there. They got back, and uh, they had bought some different things, uh, bandanas and and feathers and all these different things to go over to to get on TV with. And anyway, basically, I think Lawler or someone come in and said, uh, or someone said to him and said, "Damn, I don't know if y'all was uh, uh, gypsies or wrestlers or Indians or <laughs> what the hell you were. Could have had some gimmicks, you know, on her thing." But Ricky Morton's also, I guarantee it, in every one of those matches he's been in, and if Ricky ever listens, if, and, uh, he knows, and if you listen to Cornette, any any of them podcasts, Ricky Morton, every match he ever had, man, those fans, they was hanging from the fucking rafters. So I guarantee it, when he worked at the Sportatorium, the fans were hanging from the rafters. That was one of his favorite sayings about how packed the building was. And I, I love Ricky more to death. I get to, I have the privilege of actually getting to see him two or three times a year. And uh, I just love Ricky to death. And what a, I, I learned to sell from him because he told me to watch him. And I knew something was up when he said, Bobby, watch me. 
you know, and I started to learn how to sell in that territory. Never as good as him, of course, but still, what yeah. a great guy. Uh, and I love him and Ro- I love him and Robert both dearly. They're really good people, good friends of mine. Um, sadly, I only see them each about three or four times a year, but that's just the way it is. But yeah, Ricky Morton, one of a hell of a fucking baby face. Uh, one of the great all time. That's why he comes in at number three, and I'll let you take us to number two. Well, I'm going to do this real quick, too. Yep. Ricky went to a time limit draw with Nick Bockwinkle, and he also feuded briefly with Ric Flair for the NWA title. And they had a couple Broadways, 60-minute time limits. Yes, they sure did. And uh, I'm getting a message now from the commissioner. This this week must have a winner. There will be no time limit draw. Okay, you got it. So number two, we are going to go to the Von Erichs. Now, first off, I want to say this does not include Waldo or Lance. Um, especially not Lance, but the Von Erichs, I don't know how we could be anywhere near Dallas and not talk about the Von Erichs. That's right. They were, I mean, just go and watch. You know what's wrong with wrestling today is that all the crowds look like they're full of guys from the Geek Squad at Best Buy. Now go look at the crowds from WCCW, (laughs) and it is nothing but pussy as far as the eye can see. Yep. And it was due to the Von Erichs being so over. I read an article a few weeks back about Rick Rude. And they said that Rude, um, you know, would wrestle average-looking people. And the first person they listed were like Kerry and Kevin Von Erich. I'm like, average-looking people? Oh, God. <laughs> Where the fuck do you live? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, these kids were nothing but muscle, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, just, you know. So Fritz von Erich obviously ran WCCW and pushed his kids, but the difference here is these kids kind of deserved it. They were hardworking, uh, good-looking, and uh, apparently worked a little bit stiff, but, you know, that happens. And yep. they were so over in Dallas that one time when one of the guys got caught with uh, some drugs in his bag on TV, they made it sound like Michael P.S. Hayes had framed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, you know, that's the thing. about talk about getting over when you look at the crowds and stuff. And, of course, they sold out, what, that the damn uh, stadium down there back in the day uh, with all those guys working on top. Uh, with the free birds and and uh, the teams that came through there, they they feuded with Adams and and um, Hernandez and all the the great talent. And for all those those heels, you got to have a baby face, and they were deservingly so baby faces. I mean, they were just so fucking over. And Kerry, that that modern day warrior body man, that he had he just tremendous. And you know the other thing was too, they was just athletic as hell too. Yep. And I always admired that when someone's in a professional wrestling business that that you that is noticeably athletic. You know, it's like sometimes things look kind of hard or too someone has two left feet, but you know what? Those guys were such good athletes. They just took right to it. And uh, of course, we're, we're mentioning David as well when we we're talking about Kevin and and Carrie and also oh shit, there's a time limit going yep. on. Um, Got to mention David also because he was considered at one time, I think, a discussion of uh, becoming maybe the NWA World Heavyweight Champion at one time. But um, anyway, Von Erichs come in at number two, and I'll let you finish up with anything you have to say about the Von Erichs. Well, yeah, I was going to say the six-man titles never meant much to anybody except when it came to the Von Erichs in WCCW. Um, that was the only time I remember anybody ever getting, you know, like excited or anticipating wins for anybody is when those three guys, you know, Kevin, uh, who, who was it? Was it, uh, Mike was with them when they were doing yeah, this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Kevin, Kerry and Mike. Yeah. Um, 
I, I do want to point out Kevin's standing body scissor was in, you. You have to be pretty oh. strong to jump that high in the air and then catch a guy like yeah. that with your legs. Wow, I just thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie, I mean, it's kind of a tragic story, but I, I do want to impress people that when he worked as the Texas Tornado, he had a fake foot. Yeah. And that is just incredible that you can be that athletic and in that kind of shape. And David Von Erich, I've never known if it was true or not, but but Ric Flair and other people have said that there was talk of putting the NWA title on him. Yeah. So when he passed away, they did give Kerry a short NWA right, title run. Right, yeah. I heard that as well. With that said, I did wrestle a Texas Tornado in WWF for the Superstars of Wrestling. Uh, I, we did a Piper thing. I don't know if anyone can find it out there. If anyone can, probably text. But I wrestled. I did about six or eight uh, TV spots for them back in the day, and I was in – Two cities back-to-back, I couldn't tell you if it's Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Toledo, Dayton, Ohio, or somewhere in that area. They contacted me, and one of the nights I got to work with Kerry. Really quick matches like the Ric Flair one. Basically, we just done a few things. I called whatever. He was so easy to work with. I already knew the finish, which is going to be the discus punch is what it was called then. I, I honestly can't tell you like I could the Piper match, uh, the details of it. But basically, I knew that's who I was working uh, five minutes before we go to bell time, you know, I'm staying in a gorilla position. The guys, uh, Danny Davis, dangerous Danny Davis, the referee you was talking about in the yep. past. They said, you got to go find Kerry. And I'm like, what? And it's one of those same stories. But, yeah, I find him. And I just walked up a hallway, and he was up there just, you know, kind of lacing his boot. And I said, you know, I think we're up. And he was real courteous, real professional, no big deal, not a big talker, nothing like that. We just walked out there, and he said, you know, have fun, whatever, and uh, watch the discus punch. And I forgot how we set it up. Basically, I fed into it. I didn't feel anything. I went down one, two, three, and a thank you, and, you know, that's that. But uh, I had always admired his body and stuff, but it was obviously a different carry that I was working than the one that, you know, was in his prime, you know what I'm yeah, saying? He, yeah. he was kind of on the way out uh, physically and, and mentally at that point for a lot of other reasons, I guess, which is none of my business. I'm just saying I was. it was an honor to get the rest of one of Von Eric's, however brief it was, I did get to do that. And so I could always say that, you know, what the hell, what at the sportatorium, but it's still carry Von Eric, you know? So, yeah. Um, all sure. right. So, all right. Well, we got to hurry up because we are yep. in overtime. I, overtime. Hate, I, I hate rushing this, but uh, let's go to number one, wildfire, Tommy rich. Yeah. Wildfire. Someone say something about getting fired up out there. You know, Tommy Wildfire Rich, man, was there anyone ever over more than Tommy Wildfire Rich back in the day? Man, he just had that, he had that fire. You know, he had that blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh, he had that talk. He could talk to those people in a building. He had an interview. And, uh, man, like you said, he just, uh, He's number one. Tommy Wildfire Rich is number one all-time babyface. I'll let you talk a bit more about him because I know a little bit about Tommy, and I, I just saw him back in uh, Memorial Day weekend, I think, at uh, Bobby Fulton's show, and I'll probably run into Tommy again because someone up this way always books him once or twice a year, and I get to run into him, say hi to him. But uh, Tommy Rich is a fucking hell of a babyface back in the day, man. Well, so Tommy Rich, I think one of the phrases you hear about him most often is matinee idol looks. Mm. people were coming off of, you know, the Partridge family and this kind of stuff. And he kind of looked like, you know, he fit into that mold and, yeah. and chicks panties just fell off when he was around, <laughs> you know, um, he was one of the biggest stars for TBS in the Georgia days. Yeah. That's what had, I was going to say when they hit, he yeah. hit at the right time, you know, 
So go yeah. ahead. Well, no, no, that was exactly where I was headed with that. Uh, he's yeah. held dozens of NWA titles. Probably most importantly, he was NWA world champion, much like myself. There you go. Yeah. You have the belt to prove it. Yeah, I got the belt right here. Um, yeah. And then I think one of the two of the main things that I remember about him is his feud with Buzz Sawyer. Yep. And I do remember going back and seeing old footage of uh, Tommy Rich under a hood as Mr. R. Or okay. somebody under a hood. Who yeah. sounded like Tommy Rich? There you go. Well, never know. Very for distinguished sure. voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tommy Rich, you know, when it, back in the day, Georgia Championship Wrestling, they, they talked about um, when TBS hit, they started going to some different markets outside of Georgia. And they used to do a run up here in Ohio and West Virginia. They come through Columbus, uh, uh, up into Michigan, through Columbus, Ohio, over into Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, and one night, I was just young fan. Uh, I think like my senior year of high school or something. Well, anyway, he had forgot his gimmicks from my understanding, and I didn't know what gimmicks were back then or whatever. But one of the stories that stands out was uh, he actually wrestled Harley Race at the uh, Old Memorial Fieldhouse, and um, they went out and auctioned off. He had worn a hat to the building apparently at night, and they auctioned off a damned old, like, you know, just a regular ball cap that Tommy Rich was going to autograph to the highest bidder. And I think a guy got like two hundred fucking dollars for a hat, man. You know, didn't didn't have any pictures. They, the 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 guess the gimmick truck or he forgot him at home or however it worked back then. But he didn't have anything to sell, so he auctioned off his hat. And of course, I wasn't smart to the business or anything, but it went for like a hundred eighty-five dollars, two hundred dollars, something like that, for just no hat that Tommy Rich signed. But <laughs> I'm sure some beer money for Tommy Rich, you know. Oh yeah. So from back in the day, he got but, himself uh, a six pack of Milwaukee and hit under the ring. There you go. Yeah. And then the other thing is just Tommy's just a good old boy, and, uh, you know, he got that world heavyweight title, and uh, he always said, you know, Harley, Harley's just good people for putting him over like that. And, and uh, he always, you know, just Tommy's one of them people that just – you can't not like him. He, he's just one of these funny people that doesn't even try to be funny half the damn time. But I've got to wrestle with him a lot of times. He's real, real smooth in the uh, ring. He's, he, he can sell, sell his ass off, good ring psychology, and just uh, one of those things. And I used to work with him quite a bit on the independent scene back in the day, and we had some really good times out there on the road. And uh, to me, just Tommy, just a good guy. And there's still people today. And let me rephrase that. There's still females today. In fact, I just spoke to one Sunday. Uh, the, my youngest son came by with a friend. I had a friend. I had a friend. And it was these girls. And their mom was driving them. And this lady, she was like, I heard you knew Tommy Rich. I mean, here it is, 30 years after the fact or whatever. And this lady's probably 45 years old going, I was so in love with Tommy Rich back in the day. I still, when people know or find out or talk to me about wrestling, they talk to me about Tommy Rich, a female especially. He was my teenage crush. I love Tommy Rich, you know. And um, I just think that's crazy, man. I, I, mean, I admire it and respect it, but it's crazy that people still remember him especially females being teenagers going. So that shows what a, a, a true baby face he was and talk about the power of TBS and getting over. Tommy Rich is number one on our greatest of all time baby faces on this episode of the Bell to Bell of Bobby Blaze podcast. Holy cow, man. We, <laughs> I'm sorry we had to rush some of those, but you yep. know, we, we got to try to keep this timely. Uh, Bobby, I, I, I'm pretty happy with this list. What do you think? I'm real pleased with it, man. I know we went over by about five minutes, but um, yeah. uh, we had to finish it up, and, and that's that. But we appreciate you. If you hung with us this long, man, tell a friend. 
you know, um, follow Jeremy at the Geekish Cast. Follow me at Bobby Blaze seven forty four, or follow us both on Bell to Bell with uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. And uh, get out there and let people know about our podcast, man, because we enjoy it. We have fun with it. We love wrestling. We love podcasting. I'll let Jeremy close out the show, man. And, Mr. Regal, thanks for letting us go a few minutes over this week. And, fans, we do apologize. We do normally not keep it this long. But this is only, I think, the second time we went over 50 minutes. So there. Yeah, we, we try to keep it short. Yeah, everybody. Also, if you're on Facebook, we do have a group and a page on Facebook. Come find us there. Um, and until next time, for myself, Jeremy Vilmer, and for Bobby Blaze, bye-bye, everybody. Hello, I'm Ricky Morton. And I'm Robert Gibson. And you're listening bell to bell with Bobby Blaze. Wow.